we ask that your Holy Spirit now would take charge. We ask that Christ Jesus would have the preeminence. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would clothe us with humility, that you'd fill us with your spirit, and that you'd hide us behind the cross so that the only one heard and seen is Jesus. It's his word. Make the crooked paths straight this morning, I pray. Lord, speak to us in such a way that it would lead us and guide us into all truth. Come to us where we are and take us to where we need to be. In Jesus' name, God's children, say amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Acts. This morning, the book of Acts, chapter number 17. I will read 12 verses. If you uh, can endure that many verses in reading, stand with me. And uh, let's read the Word of God. I'll read it if you'll follow along. Acts, chapter number 17. Thank you, family, for the job well done this morning. All glory to God. Verse number 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, how did I do? And Apollonia, I might have did a little bit worse on that one. They came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So Paul was teaching a series. Amen. Verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy. Pay attention to that. Took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. When they had taken security of Jason and of the others, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, uh, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women which were Greeks and of men, not a few. Focus with me on verse 5. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy. The word envy comes from the Greek word zelu, which means to have warmth of feeling for or against. In other words, I would interpret that as they were hot. 
Would you agree? Say amen. They took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. I'm going to stop reading right there and I'm going to give you the title of my message, which is probably already on the screen. I want to preach this morning with God's help on house on fire. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. House on fire. We have a couple of problems uh, or perceived problems that these Jews are trying to rectify. Uh, the unbelieving Jews in particular was not subscribing to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had their religions that they were taught for a lifetime from a child and it was not easy for them to just simply have someone else come in after a lifetime of having believed one way to be then told that the way they have interpreted Scripture was at least in part incorrect and that they needed to adapt to the age of grace. Imagine with me, if you will, how that would feel in modern day. If a preacher were to come into this church and begin with Scripture to teach you that things you've been taught your whole life were not exactly right, and this is really the way it should have been interpreted, and this is really the way it should have been applied. I dare say many would be outraged. I dare say many would be hot in their spirit. Would you agree? Say amen. Uh, because what happened, they had envy in their hearts, uh, these preachers of the gospel claiming that Jesus was the Messiah that they crucified was just making them furious because it was messing with everything they had going in their religious sect. I mean, think about it. They were in cahoots with the tax collectors. They were in cahoots with the religious powers that be. They had a good thing going for them. And especially the priest whom God rejected uh, or rebuked many times in the Old Testament for, for uh, using their position of authority as in a position of abuse and power and manipulation. Uh, they were not ready to give up their seats of power without a fight. They were not, were not willing to lose more people uh, from Judaism to Christianity. Uh, they were already losing a great following in other cities, and they were trying to set up barricades lest this gospel turn this city upside down like it has the rest of the world. And so they are furious. I would say that with their envy and with their hot spirit, they set the house of Jason on fire with their fury. Because they brought the whole, I mean the Bible said there, uh, they, they brought certain lewd fellas of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jacob. One definition for that word assaulted indicated they were, they were standing on top of it. I could see it now. Can't you? It's, it's like a mob rushing the man of God's house, uh, expressing their fury and their indignation for him daring to come in and preach to them that Jesus was the Messiah. They were angry. They were hot. And they were not about to give up their turf without a fight. May I propose to you today that among other things, the reason the Jews which believe not assaulted or put heat on their envy uh, or heat from their envy upon uh, the house of Jason is because what Jason preached and received of Paul and Silas caused them to feel assaulted. This is, I believe, a picture of of religious vengeance. How dare that preacher get up and say what he just said when I know what I have believed uh, for my whole life uh, and he comes in, uh, I tell you what I'm going to do. He assaulted me verbally. I'm going to assault him every way I can. And though, so they assaulted the man of God because they were not willing to receive the truth which was in direct opposition 
to what they believed to be true. And the Bible says uh, that if the blind lead the blind, they shall both fall in the ditch. The Bible says that if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness. Can I uh, submit to you today this idea and this thought that there are many sitting on pews of churches just like this one and maybe this one this morning that have lived their whole life under a guise, under an assumption that they're okay with God, but all they have is man-made religion, but they've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ and having been born again into the family of God. And to that kind of crowd, if I were to get up and try to convince the naysayer of their need for Christ, they would, in fact, many of them get angry with the preacher because the preacher dares to challenge the status quo of today's religion. Can I get an amen this morning? And I believe that many times today preachers of the true gospel of Christ and who herald the purity of God's word above all else are still, their houses are still being set on fire. Can I put it this way? They were trying to burn Jason out. They were looking for him. They were putting pressure and trying to find him. And when they found him, him they accused uh, him before all, uh, saying what crimes, quote-unquote, that he had committed. And who is this Jason uh, to assume the authority to accept uh, Paul and Silas? And who is Paul and Silas to challenge the status quo? And, and uh, uh, Paul, what college was Paul and Silas from? Uh, what denomination were Paul and Silas? And they began uh, to discredit uh, what God had already put as an authority on these men of God because they not, did not readily recognize who they were or where they came from, assuming that God would only approve what came from their sort and their class and their crowd. Can I get an amen? But what I've learned is when God the Holy Ghost is ready to start a move of God in any people group, uh, whether it be an individual, a church, a family, or a nation, many times God pulls someone up out of the backside of a desert that only has the training of the Holy Spirit of God and that don't know the intricate details or the in inner workings of uh, the powers that be. Uh, they cannot relate to the religious status quo because they were not raised on it. They don't even think like that. They come from a complete different perspective because they were not trained to think and act and, uh, and be like a uh, status quo they were not uh, they were not taught to promote or endorse uh, this brand or that brand uh, they simply had no uh, better knowledge than to simply read the word of God and trust it as it was written and as the Holy Spirit gave him utterance and as the Holy Spirit taught him uh, and many today will discredit a preacher who doesn't have a Bible college degree uh, uh, many will discredit a preacher who doesn't come from their neck of the woods uh, or who isn't recognized by their preferred recognizers if there's such a thing uh, uh, but let me say today more than we need people with college educations uh, and that's a good thing to have I'm not promoting uh, uh, ignorance as a badge of honor uh, but let me tell you what I am promoting uh, I am promoting the endorsement of heaven this morning amen if it's from the word of God if it's purely God's word and the anointing of God is on the individual declaring the word of God if God be for them, who can be against them? If you're with me, say amen. And so Jason uh, was bringing in Paul and Silas. They weren't recognized by the religious elite. Uh, and so they were furious about that. They were, not, they were not cut of the same cloth. And so the revelation of Jesus Christ not only threatened their way of life, but their way to heaven in their own minds. And that's why they're mad. How dare they? Now, that's my foundation. Now let me say this. I want to introduce to you now the root problem, what I believe to be the root problem of our text amongst opposing viewpoints that we see in our text, namely the word discrepancies. And, and I want to ultimately close this message today on teaching you from the Word of God how to quench the fires of discrepancy in the church. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? What are you talking about discrepancies? I'll point them out to you, but I'll go ahead and give you the brief outline now. Many times what is written and what is preached 
and what is practiced could be two or three different things. If you're with me, say amen. It, it poses a problem. I, I dare say that many churches today are on fire and burning to the ground because people are not willing to identify and rectify the discrepancies between what is preached and what is practiced and what is allegedly believed. We often say that we believe this or we believe that, but then all practicality, we don't really put our feet where our mouth is. Now let me show it to you in the text. Verse number 2, the Bible said, uh, and uh, it said, Paul, and as his manner was, went in unto them, <clears throat> and three Sabbath days reasoned with them. Where did he reason with them from? Out of the Scriptures. This is what is in print. This is what is written. This is the authority of heaven. This is what Jesus did in the wilderness when he was tempted to Satan and he responded every time, it is written, it is written, it is written. And if Jesus Christ himself stood upon what is written, then who are we to assume any other source as our authority or as our guide? Can I get an amen? And so we see here that the disciples' authority came from the Scriptures, whereas the unbelieving Jews' authority came from both a mixture of their man-made traditions as well as the laws of the land. Oh, yes. They was worried about Caesar. That's because they was in cahoots with him. They was worried about the religious powers to be because they were some, amongst some of those, no doubt, that helped write some of the extra 400 commandments that were even in the original Old Testament because God, they thought, needed a little help clarifying. Can I get another amen? And so this creates a discrepancy in religious circles all the time. People who assume that their tradition is well-based in Scripture when in fact they have been misled. Either deliberately or out of ignorance. Some people do it on purpose. Some people simply do not know. But there are many today who are ever learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the actual truth. And so we see a discrepancy between Paul and the religious Jews because of who they assumed that their authority came from. And Jesus told that same crowd, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. But then he said, and they are these which testify of me. He said, if you'll study your Bible hard enough, you'll find out that the Old Testament that you claim salvation out of is testifying of the very one that you're plotting his murder. Wow, how can religious folk go so far and so out of touch with reality from the Word of God? How can you be a Judas and kiss the door of heaven and go to hell? Well, it's simple. When you listen to the slithering lies of the serpent who twist the words of God just enough to make it say what it didn't say, but that sounds religious enough to where you buy it, hook, or swallow it, hook, line, and sinker. And so there's often a vast discrepancy in what is printed and the religious powers to be what they actually uh, refer to as their final authority not only that but we see the discrepancy in what is practiced in verse number seven it said these all do contrary notice they're mad about what they're doing these all do contrary to what to the decrees of Caesar now wait a minute if they knew what was best for them they would also search the scripture because they would understand that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Christ's kingdom does not submit to any earthly 
authority, no matter, no matter how big, long, or outstanding they are. Some people think that credibility lies in historical longevity. But let me tell you this, 6,000 years of lying is still a lie even if it's been told for 6,000 years. It doesn't matter how long that religion has been in existence, its age is not its authority. Well, I've been believing this my whole life. So what? The Bible says you must be born again. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whosoever shall join this church or be baptized here or, or do this religious deed or do that religious deed. And many today uh, uh, rest upon long-standing beliefs. And after all, our church has been in existence uh, longer than any other church in town. And not knowing that the Rock of Ages has been here long before any of us were ever created. And He is the ultimate authority. And if we don't all bow the knee to Him, then we will all suffer an eternity for it so we see discrepancies in what's written and versus what's practiced uh, today many want you to they don't they don't really care what you uh say you believe as long as you don't start practicing it sometimes amen <laughs> when christianity becomes practical then it becomes a problem for some I've heard of sinners like my dad get saved, and people say, well, we didn't want him to get that saved. Well, what do you mean? Well, he's over here preaching to us now. And they loved him better when he was lost. God answered their prayer and saved him. He went from a public nuisance to a gospel preacher. Right? And now the same people that was mad at him for being an embarrassment of a drunk in the community is now mad at him because he calls their sin out and tells them they must repent like he did. What do you want? You can't have the best of both worlds. Amen? What I'm saying is some religious people just want a little dab that'll do them. And their authority is based on anything but the final authority, which is the Word of God. What, what are we to do as a church if we find a discrepancy between what we are doing and what we are saying or between what we were doing and what the Word of God says? We all know the answer. We need to repent and get right, correct? Straighten up and fly right. We all know that, but how often do we ignore that? How often is there a discrepancy that remains? Many children today... Rather, adults that were children in evangelical homes similar to this one are out in the world and they have rejected the cross. They have rejected Christ. They have rejected the gospel because all they saw in their church were hypocrites. They saw the discrepancies and even maybe called them out. But when the religious was called out, they became self-righteous and justified their wicked deeds rather than uh, humbling themselves and apologizing and getting right with their child and getting right with the Lord so that they would know that it was the real deal. And so today we have many churches who are on fire and crumbling because no one is willing to talk about the discrepancies. No one wants to get honest with God and man. Note, that the devil does not fight until you read out of the script until excuse me what you read out of the scriptures begins to shape what you do with your life some say they believe one way while showing they believe another pastors a lot of times get in trouble with this <laughs> uh, i won't mention the name but i've pastor to church one time I was told that they believed one way but when I got in and started pastoring I found out they practiced a completely different standard than what they preached needless to say the Lord didn't want his Holy Spirit grieved any longer than what had transpired and so the Lord moved us on because there was a church that was unwilling to rectify the discrepancies between what they said 
and who they were. It's a tragedy. In this same church, if my, my recollection is right, uh, my son, uh, was, Elijah, was amongst the children in the Sunday school classes, and the Sunday school teacher brought the, uh, I believe it was the bylaws, Okay, the Southern Baptist Creed from 2007, and she proceeded to tell the class that they needed to learn why we believe what we believe. And instead of taking the Word of God as her text, she took this third-party document as her text. And my son, how old were you? He was 11, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but something to this nature. I know where my authority is, and it comes from the Word of God. I was so proud of him. I was so proud of him. That all ha- I, I didn't coach him to say that. Because he, he grew up in a family where he saw that mom and daddy took the word of God seriously. And that there was no wiggle room. There's no wiggle room with the word of God. But I want to say this. What we tolerate can become a cancer that becomes the death blow of the church. When we're not willing... To say, you know what? It's not really biblical. What we say, what we do, it's not really matching up. And so, and that's, that's a problem in this text. I see it all, all over the place. And these Jews were angry because uh, uh, Paul and Silas and Jason, all of them were preaching something that they, were, they actually believed and they actually put to practice. They actually believed that Jesus was the only hope for mankind and dared declare that message openly, boldly, and publicly and against the grain of status quo. And so, you know, and by the way, this world don't mind the church meeting as long as we stay inside of our four walls. Amen. As long as you don't get out on the streets and start telling people they need Jesus. As long as you don't get on the public square and start preaching the gospel to places because they won't come here. As long as you stay in your little corner of the world where they can't see you, they can't hear you, they can't know you, they don't mind. But you show me a church that's gospel ready. They have their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and they're ready to broadcast it from the rooftop, from the radio station, from the social media, on the street corner over here by the side of the road in a couple weeks and all of a sudden the devil stirs up his old ugly head and you will not believe the snakes that will start coming out of the heat because he's ready to try to destroy what God's doing in that church. Yeah. Don't think it's strange concerning this fiery trial which is sent to try the church. And in our efforts sometimes to maintain quote-unquote peace, we try to avoid offense, so we ignore faults, we ignore problems, we ignore discrepancies, we patch them over, or worse yet, we excuse them, or even try to find a scripture to twist hard enough to try to make it match and give credence to what has become sin in the church, and God's Holy Spirit has been grieved to the point to where He has not been in some churches for many years and manifested this power uh, for many years because people prefer traditions over the word of God what's script, what is written what is practiced what is preached it all seems to go in different directions verse 7 said uh, not only did they do contrary to the decrees of Caesar but they said that there's another king one Jesus how dare they <laughs> And this is where the church often gets in trouble with the government, isn't it? Because we answer to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He and He alone is the authority of the church. Now, He delegates authority, but what He delegates, He can also rescind. Amen. He said, all power is given unto me. Go ye therefore. He's delegating authority to the church to go and preach the gospel to the corners of the earth. 
But I wonder how many churches today may have the word Ichabod. The glory has departed over their church door. Because we have cowered. One of the things I think we have an issue with today is personality-driven churches versus kingdom-driven churches. Uh, there, there's a church-centered model, and there's a Christ-centered model. The church-centered model focuses on key personalities who uh, allegedly are in charge. And often in this church model, uh, the, the biggest, loudest, and proudest personalities and the strongest opinions win the day. And that church only does what the biggest personality or the hottest opinion says should be done. Am I right, church? And people in the church who want to see God move are starving spiritually, and they're afraid to speak up because they've tried it before, and they've been publicly humiliated and reprimanded by powers that be who are being lords over God's heritage instead of servants and representing the heart of the king. And when the church gets out of opinions and gets out of personalities and starts getting kingdom-minded and studying and learning and knowing and being the heart of Jesus Christ, we'll put our petty differences aside and we'll say, let the Lord sit on the throne and may His name be magnified and may all of our opinions die at the altar of Jesus Christ today. Keep in mind, I have a broader audience than what's here this morning. But if the shoe fits, we need to wear it, don't we, church? Amen. Note that all must bow both knees to the authority of Christ and His kingdom. I'll never forget what I heard, and I may misquote him, but it was very close. When, back when Adrian Rogers was, uh, I believe, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, the Lord used him mightily to help stir it more in a conservative direction during his uh, service there. And, and something was said about the possibility of the convention not surviving. And, and, and I don't remember the exact quote. Some of you may remember it better than me. But he said the Southern Baptist Convention doesn't need to survive. Amen. What I, and, and I'm not saying that, and I'm not here today to bash organizations. I recognize the good that they do. You see what I'm saying? I, I'm simply pointing out discrepancies that sometimes we get the, the a wrong way of thinking about things. And, and my point in, in, in quoting Adrian Rogers, and I think what his point was, and, and I agree with it, is uh, all we really need at the end of the day is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That the church will survive with or without the organizations that become parachurch organizations. Because truthfully, the Southern Baptist Convention was originally set up, if I'm not mistaken, to facilitate the process and to strengthen the local church to do their job. It wasn't meant to look, be looked at as a, uh, as a headquarter authority. And even to this day, I believe we say that that's our practice. And sometimes I think people get it in their head that the Southern Baptist Convention is the authority when in fact they got it all wrong. Jesus Christ always has been and always will be the authority and you find his authority as written in the Word of God. And so as long as we're willing to acknowledge and admit if or when there are discrepancies, then we'll be okay when we follow the book instead of man. Right, church? Amen. Uh, But you'd be surprised at how disruptive things can get in the common church today when Christ alone is shown in scriptures, proclaimed as Lord, and practically submitted to in real life scenarios. <laughs> I've gone through a lot in my short tenure as a minister. I've been preaching since I was 18, but I'm only 43, so I've still got a long way to go. Right, Brother John? <laughs> I've still got a lot to learn, amen. But one of the greatest things that God ever did for me is when he began to divorce me from public opinion. 
And when he began to show me the heart of God, when I personally lived through and experienced the atrocities of discrepancy between what was preached from the pulpit and what was practiced and pounced upon the weak sheep of God. And it breaks my heart today to know that that mess still goes on in too many places. But I'm also rejoicing that God taught me to find my identity and my authority at the feet of Jesus and the Word of God. And I've learned that if everybody else turns on the house of the caudals and stands on top of it, jumping up and down, bringing a negative attention to me, if, if CNN were to swarm around my house and bring false accusation against me in Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand let come what may as long as I'm standing on the rock I'll be the last one standing and all else will crumble and fall they may come against me one way but they'll flee before me seven ways because I have chosen to stand on the only thing that will endure the test of time and eternity and that's the rock of ages the Lord Jesus Christ been a tough lesson it's been a lonely lesson <laughs> but I've not been alone <laughs> oh glory to God I'm going to get to my conclusion in just a moment but I need to share something with you Be, bear with me just a second. I want to speak to those who, for whatever reason, find yourself serving God on the outside of the inner circle of religious status quo. You may be lonely. But you are not alone. You must find your strength, your identity, your purpose, and your acceptance at the nail-scarred feet of Jesus Christ. Once you do that, you will learn that living on the inside with men is overrated. You will learn that many of them only live inside the circle because of fear of rejection. And if you could hear their thoughts, they envy your freedom. You would learn that companionship behind bars is a whole lot worse than isolation in freedom. Then you would learn that to be an outcast with men is to be cast in with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So never envy the inner circle that would never let Jesus have free rule and reign. Enjoy your days with God as if they were days of heaven upon earth. But never, never feel sorry for yourself for being alone with Jesus because you have the best thing going. Amen, church. Now what do we do if we find discrepancies as we have preached. Do we sweep them under the rug? Do we give them another decade of chance. To maybe produce some fruit. With our old antiquated. Outdated. Unbiblical way of doing things. Or do we go to the word of God. For a fresh drink. And a fresh touch. And a fresh anointing. Many churches today are on fire. Because of these discrepancies. Which we. Uh, allow without calling them out for what they are and bringing them in line with the Scriptures. But here's what we do about it. Read your Bible, verses 10 through 12 again with me. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night. Uh, oh, I love that right there. They gave them a covering. They didn't send them out of town on a rail. They didn't feel the pressure of the unbelieving Jews and, and become turncoats on the apostles. And throw them out to the wolves. No, they found a safe way to send them out under the cover of night for their protection. 
and, and would to God more people would do some more covering for God's men rather than throwing them out when the heat is on. Can I get an amen? Uh, who coming hither went into the synagogue of the Jews, verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. This is one of our problems. When we detect someone that confronts our religiosity, we automatically get on the defense rather than keeping an open heart to the Holy Spirit. And we stand our ground come hell or high water, many times at the expense of a move of God in a local assembly. And this scripture saying that what did they do? They received it. But what was they doing? They weren't, they weren't blindly receiving it. What were they doing? With all readiness out of my hand, search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They had, I, I don't like to use this term because it's a, a legal term in our legal system, but for lack of better illustration, the, they gave you the benefit of the doubt until they checked you with scripture. They didn't automatically assume that there was a, a, a skeleton in your closet and that we just got to seek out to find that. Let me find the dirt on him. I don't like what he said. There's got to be some dirt on him. No, they didn't search for his dirt. They searched the scriptures. Amen. Man, instead of assaulting somebody that loved you enough to tell you the God-honest truth, why don't you do him a favor? Give him the benefit of the doubt and go to that book and see if what he ain't told you ain't right. Rather than just assuming that what you've always believed has always been so because you could have been misled. We're all human. We're all vulnerable. All we like sheep have gone astray. And every one of us turned our own way, right? <laughs> And what these fellas did, with caution, but respect, they were willing to receive it long enough to check it with the book. Amen. Just check it with the book. Not a hard process if you're willing to do some homework. But if you're not willing to do the homework, then you need to keep your mouth shut. Amen. Amen. <laughs> we good <laughs> oh help us Jesus we say we believe that the Bible is the word of God without any error the sole authority for life and faith everybody say amen, amen. but do we always practice that even when it goes against the grain of traditions expectations or strong personalities that we fear to upset One of the most difficult things for an introverted personality such as mine to do as a God-called pastor is to confront someone when they're biblically out of line. It goes against everything in my nature. I, of all people, know the temptation of taking the path of least resistance. But to what expense should I do that? Do you really want a puppet for a pastor? Or do you want someone that will tell you the truth? Amen. That should be all of our desire. And I, I know where my, I know where I stand. I'm not the final authority. God is. And I, I have to hold myself up as accountable to this book as anybody else. And I tell everybody all the time, and I'll say it again. That if you find I'm out of line with this book, come talk to me about it. I'll repent and get right and I'll make a public announcement about it. If that's what it requires to make it right. Because nobody's above this book. Absolutely nobody. But so many times, well, if you go to preaching that, so-and-so's the biggest tither in the church, you'll run them off and then what are we going to do? We're going to trust God to send somebody else that'll take, help take care of the needs. 
if we have to validate that we have everything, every resource in place with which to launch a new ministry, do we really need God? Where's faith in that? Hello? Has it ever occurred to you, maybe God don't ever launch anything that don't require some faith? Some people disqualify new church programs because they say we don't have the money for it. Where is that in your Bible? I saw in my Bible where the poor were taking up love offerings to give it to others in need. They didn't have it, but of their own necessity, they emptied their pockets. You say, well, how did they get by? They trusted in their God, Jehovah, their provider. Amen. And we got to get back to trusting the Lord, God, Jehovah, and knowing that if He called us to it, He'll see us through it. Amen, church? That's right. By the way, I'm still in my series on order, order in the church. So again, what do we do to resolve these discrepancies? Here's what we do. We identify the truth in the Word of God, then ensure that we believe, preach, and practice it equally across the board. But here's what we try to do sometimes. We try to patch it over and say, oh, I believe... And, and, and I, I might bring it to somebody's attention. Well, I totally believe, I agree with you, preacher. I, I'm totally on board with you. I see exactly where it's at in the scripture. I stand with you. And then they go right out the door and do exactly the opposite of what we, he said or she said they agreed to. And I'm saying if we're ever going to resolve discrepancies that otherwise might burn the house down and eliminate the influence of this church for future generations, then we're always going to have to be willing to make adjustments as the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, brings them to light. How is it then, brethren, according to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, how is it when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Paul wrote to the disorderly church of uh, Corinth, said, let all things but be done unto edifying. If you look that up, it means architecture and confirmation. In other words, it's to be unified around the truth of God's Word. And when we unify around the truth of God's Word, it eliminates all of the discrepancies and gives us our power back, gives us our salt back, gives us our light back. Gives us our influence back. Amen. But as long as we say one thing and we pretend one thing and we do one thing, we're losing generations. We're losing our kids. We're losing our grandkids. Because somewhere along the way, we, we adopted pride as our God. And if you don't believe that churches don't set up golden calves, just uh, think about what I'm preaching to you today. Think long and hard about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> And I'll say this, and I'll be, I'll be quiet. Sometimes our golden calves are our third-party documents that we so rely on to, with which to manage the house of God, be they bylaws or otherwise. Some people would soon have, have, sooner have you doubt the Word of God than they would the bylaws. Yeah. Amen. But the lesser should always serve the greater. Right? I'm not saying eliminate bylaws. I'm not saying eliminate needed third-party documents for legal protection. But the lesser should always serve and bow to the greater. So if there's any discrepancies, just fix them. And keep moving on for Jesus. Amen. If you can agree with that, would you stand to your feet? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Now, I don't know how this might apply to you personally, but I think this is a challenge for us as a church moving forward to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit... Uh, to just bring us closer and closer to the perfect biblical model of how the church needs to function and operate. If we're going to see the move of God that God wants to send to this local assembly, every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. Uh, if you need to pray, you can pray there in your seat. You can come down here to the altar. If you'd join me in the altar, I'd be honored. I'm going to just get on my knees before the Lord. And I'm going to ask the Lord that if there's any fires that need to be quenched, that are destroying what God's trying to do, that God the Holy Ghost will give us the courage and the ability
to put them out with the truth and practice and preaching of God's word. Thing I need is to 